U.S. Representative Christy Noem, a Republican from South Dakota, says her fixation with the estate tax almost kept her off the tax reform conference committee. That's one of the things we learn in this week's episode of Mount Podmore, uh, the Rapid City Journal's political podcast. I'm your host, Seth Tupper. One, two, three. Okay, Representative Noem, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to be with you. You bet. So we'll jump right into it. I want to start by asking you uh, a question about Washington. And um, what I wanted to ask was, as recently as 2010, you were uh, kind of an outsider looking in like Mm -hmm. the rest of us. Um, You've now sort of seen the inside of the the belly of the beast, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and you'll be leaving the House no matter what, obviously, happens in the governor's race. So I was curious if you could tell me, um, what is it that you have learned about Washington or the federal government or Congress that... um, we wouldn't know or that surprised you that you would have never guessed sure. when you were before you were elected you know i when i got to dc i realized pretty quickly that it was very very different than any experience i'd ever had you know in the legislative process i, I had served four years in the south dakota legislature and there if you have an idea you write a bill uh, it gets scheduled for a hearing uh, if it passes it goes to the floor in three days it's going to be voted on and then moved to the other house and you know there's a normal predictable process that doesn't happen in dc at all in fact i could have a bill that um, i write to fix something and it may never get a hearing i could draft a bill for 20 years in a row and i'm never guaranteed that there's going to be a public um, discussion on that policy the only way i can get a bill heard in a committee is if the chairman decides Um, And then if it passes committee, it may never get voted on on the House floor. There's no time frame. The decision is made by the majority leader and the majority leader alone. Mm -hmm. And then once you pass something through the House, uh, obviously there's no requirement that the Senate ever look at the bill. So I think that was the biggest surprise to me and and opened my eyes to how really broken it is because um, you can shut down debate pretty quickly on something that's important to you and your state if you can't get that committee chairman to even hold a hearing on it mm-hmm. uh, everything in dc moves on relationships yeah. uh, so you have to spend time i figured out pretty quick that i got to make that chairman um, care enough about either my state um, this bill that they're willing to dedicate precious time in front of their committee to mm-hmm. it so building relationships in dc was very very different than the experience i had in south dakota and that surprised me the most it also showed me how broken it is mm-hmm. um, which should be fixed. We, I, I, every Congress, have been one of the ones that has stood up at our House Rules um, proposal and asked for a normal process to be put into place, much like the South Dakota Legislature, because um, the way that we do it now allows too many important issues to be ignored. So uh, you must have figured out something through relationships. Um, mm-hmm. You were on the conference committee, yes, for example, yeah. the tax reform bill. So how did that happen? Was that well, you got to be noisy. Built, built yeah, yeah, I did build good relationships there, but you have to you have to be vocal. Uh, you have to spend a lot of time educating folks that you can contribute. Uh, you know, I, I tried very hard not to waste people's time. Uh, that every time I was speaking, I was offering value to a conversation, and then show that I had a background where I could contribute. I think one of the reasons that I got to take such a big role in tax reform was because uh, I was one of the few members on the committee that 
had actually started a business from scratch and run it. I was a farmer and a rancher, which they needed that voice at the table. I also was a mom uh, who had kids that were still in the house. Um, and so the family tax credits, child tax credits, I could relate to families out there that were still raising our future generations. Uh, and so I think that that diversity in my background and experience, they knew I could contribute to the conversation, that I was gonna be somebody that would sit in that final negotiation room and give them a perspective that was much needed. You know, there's members of Congress that have, you know, run businesses and been involved in industry, but there's a lot that haven't too. There's a lot that grew up dreaming of being congressman. <laughs> and yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing when it comes to doing big pieces of legislation like tax reform. So, um, you know, that, and if it, when it came to being on that conference committee, you know, I went to the speaker, said, would you please put me on the conference committee to negotiate tax? He said, no, absolutely not. I will not put you on there. And I said, I said, why is that? And he said, because um, you care too much about the death tax. Um, oh, really? I need, yeah, he said, I'm, okay. I'm worried that you won't contribute to all the discussion, that you'll only focus on the death tax, and then if we don't repeal the death tax, that you won't vote for the bill. And I said, listen, I, I care passionately about repealing this un-American tax. Um, but I also care passionately about making sure our small business tax code works, that our family tax credit is going to benefit those folks that are low and middle income. Mm -hmm. I'll contribute to every part of the conversation. And then my chairman that had worked with me for the last three years, you know, went to the speaker and advocated for me to be there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also had other people that were involved in the ag industry, other members of Congress that said, hey, we need Christy in the room. I had people that represented districts that had a lot of young families said, hey, we need Christy in the room. She's been helping us on the child tax credit. Even senators were asking that I be put on there. So uh, that was that was very helpful in making sure that I was in the room. Okay. You mentioned, uh, you call it the death tax. Some people uh -huh. call it the estate tax. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of controversy about that surrounding you. There uh, was, yeah. On that. yeah. So when I looked at that from the best reporting that I, that I read on it, um, it seemed to me that there were, uh, even though it was kind of one side versus the other, there were a couple of things that mm -hmm. were true there. Um, you, your family apparently did get a, a substantial um, uh, liability tax, uh, state tax liability yep, after your father did. unfortunately died in a farming accident in '94. But then also, uh, it was reported that uh, if if your mother and father unfortunately had done better estate planning, <laughs> yes, they did say that. that. So, were both are both of those things true? Well. Uh Possibly, uh, you know, we paid a heavy tax liability. Um, my dad was a big farmer. Um, he he had several different businesses uh, because his dream was that all four of his kids could stay there and farm if they wanted to. So um, everybody uh, that knew him knew he worked harder than anybody they knew. He just um, he he was outside before anybody else woke up, and he didn't come in till after everybody else was in bed. Um, so he was he was a very hard worker. Um, there there was a comment made by many reporters that that if we had done better estate planning, that we probably wouldn't have had to pay these taxes. And I found that very offensive, extremely offensive. That would that's the perfect argument for why then this tax needs to be repealed. If only the wealthy, rich, really smart people can get out of paying it because they can hire enough attorneys to do the planning to avoid it, then it's hitting uh, everyone else and it proves how unfair it is. Uh, so I found that extremely offensive. Uh, my dad uh, had done estate planning. He had paid for it. He hadn't gotten to the attorney yet to sign his new will. So he died um, unexpectedly and the, the lawyer called us and said, I'm sorry, your dad's new will was done. He just hadn't signed it, so we can't use it. So uh, they, the attacks on my family were um, 
were shocking to me. It, it, what it taught me was how hard some people will fight to keep a tax because uh, a lot of the media, they already had proof. It had been in public record for 24 years that our family paid the death taxes, yet they wrote editorials. They to wrote, be fair, nobody had just thought to look it up yet. Well, anyway. <laughs> we went <laughs> through this, though, when I ran for Congress yeah. in 2010. Okay. I mean, our South Dakota um, newspapers that printed editorials saying that my credibility was in question because I probably didn't pay death taxes, they had that information. Their okay. news department had the facts that I had paid that, yet they still chose to run editorials that said maybe I didn't. So for me, that was definitely a situation where they were being disingenuous and not telling the truth when they were writing about this issue. And it was, and it's something that I was willing to fight over because I knew they had that information. And when I ran for Congress in 2010, this was heavily litigated. Yeah. Um, there's a reason um, that people see my face and they think death tax, and it's because it's been talked about so much, mm -hmm. and because I've told the story about why this tax needs to be repealed. If we and that. Listen, this is the only place in our tax code where we double tax someone, uh, and it is an unfairness issue. And if we had had a gas station or a grocery store, um, we would have had to sell the business, the family business, in order to pay these taxes. Yeah. Lucky for us, we were farmers. We had land that we could, um, you know, have equity that we could take out a loan on. Um, but it was, uh, it was a tough situation, and it affected every decision we made for 10 years. Yeah. Um, as I understand it, the final version of the tax reform bill then raised the, you didn't, yeah, it didn't repeal it didn't the state tax, it. but it raised yeah. the threshold to 11 million roughly. It doubled the, the exemption um, where it stood that day, and yeah. it's not permanent. So yeah. it will, so at the end of eight years, it'll go back down to the $5 million is exemption. Your position then that you would still like to see it fully repealed? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, overwhelmingly, business, agriculture leaders, they want it repealed too. You know, I'm not on an island with this. We have all kinds of organizations that recognize how unfair this tax is. It's, and, and imagine the situation we're in now. How hard is it to do estate planning um, when we have a double exemption for the next eight years and then it goes back down. You know, the families, this, the uncertainty of now is, is even more complicated. I'm glad we're protecting, uh, you know, a lot of different businesses right now for the next eight years. But, you know, I have people coming up to me and say, I guess I have to hope that I die in the next eight years or I'm going to, my kids are going to have to pay, you know, um, these taxes. So, so that's the thing that I was disappointed in that we at least couldn't get that exemption level doubled permanently. Um, but unfortunately, that's one of the ramifications of doing tax reform in a budget bill. Mm -hmm. A budget bill that, that we had to um, do it within the ramifications and guidelines of the rules of the Senate. And that made it a much more difficult uh, needle to thread. But, but we are in a better spot than we were before this discussion started. Yeah. Well, the big questions now with tax reform will be the impact on the, uh, the federal budget going forward. Yes. I'm interested in that because yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it just occurred to me that as a, as Republicans, um, you know, you're put in a position where yes, you're you're lowering taxes, mm -hmm. but according to estimates, and maybe you disagree with the estimates, but the Congressional Budget Office I think said it was a, a one and a half trillion dollars yeah, added absolutely. to the deficit over the next ten years. So uh, you come from a state like South Dakota where we balance the state budget every year, mm -hmm. um, and you go to Washington, you end up voting for something that's going to add a lot to the deficit. Yeah. How do you how do you reconcile that? Yeah, you know, the, the process concerned me, too, because I care a lot about that. One of the reasons I ran for Congress was to deal with our debt and our deficit. What we need to understand is the Congressional Budget Office, when they score these bills, they do it in a static mindset. So they can't look at any kind of reaction to policy. Uh, we know when you change tax policy, there's a natural reaction that happens 
by businesses and individuals what if you lower their tax rates if they're going to reinvest if you lower a rate for a small business will they expand will they hire more workers um, and and CBO is not allowed to look at any of that all they can do is look at actual revenue and how that's impacted in cuts to dollars that come into the federal government now we know after three years of holding committee hearings, bringing in economists, looking at past history, looking at tax reform that Reagan did 31 years ago, we know that there's always a reaction to a change in tax policy. Uh, and so we went in there looking at what kinds of actions did we need to make in this reform bill to create growth in our economy, to get businesses coming back to the United States, to building here, employing folks so that those folks are now paying taxes into the federal treasury. So that $1.5 trillion is that static look, um, but we project a growth model that will have us um, in a surplus situation in just a handful of years to come. And that's exactly what we want to see. If you look at the headlines. So you, don't, you don't think that the tax reform bill will add to the budget deficit in the I long don't. term? I don't. I don't. I do believe that it is going to grow our economy and bring us more revenue into the federal treasury. So I'm excited about that because also when you create an atmosphere that has more jobs available, there'll be more competition for workers. That'll drive up their wages, which will be much better for our families that are out there trying to live paycheck to paycheck. You know, the, the average family, 46% of people in this country don't have $400 in a savings account. So if they can get some higher wages out of this too, that in return is more money coming into the federal treasury. So, so we will continue to build on that momentum as long as we keep dealing with regulations and making us much more competitive on the worldwide scale in that environment as well now that we've got tax reform done. Okay. I know our time is limited. Last question. Uh, you sent out a, a release, I think it was this week, maybe mm -hmm. last, with a proposal for campaign finance Yes, law. I did. Um, I had a, a political science professor on the podcast recently who suggested that you know, since everybody's always figuring out ways to get around whatever limit you put on on uh, contributions of any kind, perhaps we should take our focus off that and just devote all our energies to making sure things are, are just rigidly transparent, mm. um, whatever, yeah. rather than setting arbitrary limits. Um, you're proposing some uh, specific limits. What's your philosophy? Well, I'm not changing that? any limits that we have mm -hmm. today, except the amount a PAC can contribute to an individual campaign. Because right now in South Dakota, there's unlimited dollars that a PAC can give to a candidate. You know, I the benefit that I've had being in Congress is talking to other members of Congress and what their state contribution limits are. And there's many states that have unlimited contribution levels, and they tell me that people buy seats every day. You, a guy will come in and dump a million and a half dollars into a governor's race, and how do you compete with that when you're a person that may be very qualified to do that, but you're not independently wealthy, and then you end up getting only a certain amount of people that actually serve, and it's those that have the wealth in this country. So I think contribution limits have a place in South Dakota. But even I've if you never change those laws, aren't people just gonna figure out a new way to get Well I hope not. I hope not because what's happening now in South Dakota is we have a four thousand dollar per calendar year contribution limit per individual. But that person that wrote that four thousand dollar check can then write a ten thousand dollar check to 10 different PACs in the state, and then those PACs can transfer that money into a candidate's campaign. So then that person maybe donated $100,000 to a candidate and essentially did the same thing as not having a, a campaign um, limit. And I, that's allowing them to have undue influence in the race that I think that 
what we need is more normal people serving in office. Um, yeah. I tell people all the time, we do. People. We have too many <laughs> abnormal people, and we don't want all of our laws and policies made by people that are wealthy. Do we have an abnormal president? Right oh, now? no, I think the world of this president. <laughs> okay. I think he, uh, <laughs> you know, I think he says a lot of stuff, but I'm always watching what he does, okay. and I like what he does. So I like the, the policies he's pushing. We would have never got tax reform done if it wasn't for him. So, um, you know, I, I think he's somebody that, that we're in a better position because he's in the office. But, but the other thing is that I don't like corporate dollars coming into our state campaigns either. Um, we can't do that in federal campaigns, mm -hmm. and it's for a reason. It's so that I'm not making decisions that benefit the corporations that gave me money to get me elected. How does anybody know if a corporation in South Dakota wrote me a check when I was running for governor? Uh, it, it, when a state contract comes up for bid, um, how do how do they know that maybe because that corporation helped me a lot during my campaign they don't get a little bit of extra information that helps them compete for that contract and, and have an advantage over someone else who just shows up to, to compete for that so I think that to keep it cleaner and have be much more transparent and have some integrity in our campaign system that we shouldn't have corporate dollars involved uh, that we shouldn't have unlimited donations from PACs I'm not I don't have a problem with PAC dollars because they are they often are advocating for grassroots organizations or throughout the state but i think unlimited campaign contributions are are extremely concerning because they can transfer a hundred grand two hundred grand into a candidate's campaign and then that amount of influence that they hold over that candidate once they're in office can be very detrimental to the general population okay all right i, I think our time's up so all thank, right thanks for thank joining you us. appreciate mm -hmm. you for having me you bet